This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hey, Tony, how are you? Good, good. Thanks, Kenneth. Thanks for coming for having me today. Yeah, no, thank you. I start uh, every episode with this question, uh, being Vietnamese and what it means to you. Can you uh, share a little bit about that? Yeah, bringing Vietnamese, um, sorry, being Vietnamese, um, that's, that's where I was born. That's where I came from. Um, I have an attachment um, to Vietnam. Um, I've been back, gosh, I think at least 15 times. Wow. And so I have, a, I have a passion and a love for the country, for the people. Um, and, you know, I want to do something in my life to give back to the people of Vietnam. And so uh, I've been trying to figure out what that is and um, kind of like finally figured it out uh, in my later years in life that I will be sharing with you uh, on this podcast. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to hear that. I didn't know, I haven't read anything about that, but uh, read other things that you've done in the last 15 years, 20 years of uh, your professional life, but not uh, something new. Um, what got you started? Are, do you come from a, a, a family that, you know, uh, did you grow up with a business family? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, out of all the people in my family, we did not start out as business people. Um, but surprisingly enough, though, uh, now that I am still thinking about it right now, some of them have gotten that entrepreneurship in their DNA. And so there are now some that have started their own business uh, on their own um, in, in food, surprisingly enough. Uh, so things like that I'm doing, I have a cousin that does uh, furniture but a good decent amount of my cousins, you know, they do work the corporate life, nine to five job. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, my parents did not work in business. So um, I got that um, through my own journey, I, I suppose. Did you go to school for uh, business? I did. I did. Um, I majored in um, finance and uh, another thing called man management information systems oh. uh, back in back in the days. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because when I told my father that I want to major in business to him, he thought to to him, he thought that business was um, working at a bank, being a teller. <laughs> so um you know, when I told him I'm doing finance, dad, he's like, okay, so you're going to be working at the bank, huh? You're going to be a, like a teller. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But that was kind of like My his thinking at that time. Yeah. yeah it's just small view, right? Like tiny. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then over the years, did he sort of understand what uh, majoring in finance was? He did. He did. Um, I, it's it's kind of funny though that I didn't I, I didn't actually go into the finance field um, after graduating school. Even though I studied that, I actually went into tech. But um, having, I think, one of the biggest foundations that you need when you go into business is having that accounting background, mm. right? Now, I was an accountant major, but I did take about four classes in accounting. And so yeah. knowing the numbers, knowing your numbers when you start a business, knowing things about the stock market, they, they taught all that stuff um, you know, in my classes. And so that set the foundation for yeah. me uh, in, in terms of starting a business. That's a, a, a key thing that a lot of people don't talk about. You know, they talk about the entrepreneur life. They talk about these ideas. and But uh, it's a, something that I talk to my wife about very often is when you start out doing business, the most important thing to, to, to really figure out in that sector and in other sectors that are neighboring that sector is sort of understanding how much the nuts and bolts cost you know, both on the expense side and on the revenue side, what you can make. And once you really, 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 really familiarize yourselves with that, the numbers, like that thing costs $2.50 and, you know, over 10 mm -hmm. years, it's still, it's gone up to $3. And just knowing the historical sort of pricing of every little item that you go into, you know, it's a big deal. I really do wish that I went back in time to study accounting. Mm -hmm. It's like the most boring thing but yep. if you have a creative mind and you have an entrepreneurial mind then you know that stuff will come naturally but the numbers are the things that sort of like drive everything it drives success absolutely right? absolutely Kenneth. i and i you know it's funny that you mentioned numbers because um a couple of years back when my son was a third grade um the teacher asked me to talk about entrepreneurships and he says how do i tie that in with the studies and I told the kids that you guys need to be really good with numbers, right? And I told them exactly like the the, the sound the example that you gave, you know, let's like guys, for example, let's say if I sold chicken wings for $10 and it cost me $3, um, you know, how much, how much can I profit from that? You know, and so they're doing the math, there's like $7, okay? Now of that $7, two of the dollars I have to pay for someone to work in my restaurant. So how much is that? $5. Then I got utilities. I got other expenses like utilities, um, rent, um, you know, that cost me $3. And so how much after that do I, do I uh, have left? And they're like $2. I go, so that's, that's exactly how business works. You have to know your numbers, you know, yeah. you have to know what everything costs so that you know how much, you need to price your product to make a profit. It's not so. sexy. It's not <laughs> sexy at all. You, you know, you, uh, you, you watch enough of these shark tank episodes and uh, you realize it's not sexy. It's just black and white. And then you can put a skin on top of it. It's like learning how to uh, really make uh, an engine of a Lamborghini on the inside. And that is not sexy. But then once you put the cover and the shell of it on, it becomes its own sort of, uh, its own sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, right out of college, uh, what, what do you, what kind of job do you get? 
<laughs> right out of college, um, I worked at uh, Cisco Systems, the networking company. Uh, this is back in 97. Yes, that's how old I am. Um, so I went through the dot-com, I mean, the highs, definitely the highs, and then the the, the bust, the, the, the dot-com bursting. But, um, you know, it, it set the foundation for who I am because I got to work for a CEO at that time who was the number one sales guy in the world. And so I got to see the culture that he put together at Cisco. And, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, what he, what he did um, in terms of how he treated the customers, uh, how he treated the employees, um, instill some of that learnings inside of how I do business today. So um, kudos to John Chambers. Um, you know, to be able to work for a guy like him and uh, learn quite a bit uh, has allowed me to can be successful. Share, can you share the things that you've learned, um, what he did for the customers first, and then what he did for the people that worked for him? Yeah. So for the customer, um, he always had this philosophy, the customer is always right. Okay. And uh, that's always instilled in my, uh, my culture uh, at, 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 in my businesses. So actually, one of the questions that I ask uh, new candidates, new employees, right, is what do you believe in that? What do you think in that philosophy or the saying, uh, the customer is always right? And if I get a, a response, well, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not, I don't really... Um, move forward with that candidate uh, just because uh, when they're interacting with the customer, if they were interacting with the customer as a cashier, for example, they're not going to treat the customer as if they're number one, as if they're always right. They're going to always have a bias, yeah. you know, in everybody that they are taking an order. And that's not something that I want to be, you know, uh, working for me. Uh, or, or, you know, have that, that philosophy in, in their heads. And so that, I mean, I've been in some very heated calls um, at Cisco where they had a debt, you know, where a customer was about to drop all Cisco gear. And so he formed a team where your job is to try to get this, win this customer back. And we uh, bent over backwards uh, to get these customers back. And I have to say, I, I mean, in the calls that I was in, 100% of the time, I never lost one single customer. But let me ask you something. At what point do you draw the line and you go, enough is enough. This is a bad apple. I don't want our company affiliated with that customer. Well, you know, um, we, 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 we have people, we do have people, um, customers like that. Okay. But I don't want, again, I just don't want to have my employees have that bias. Um, mm. You know, those guys will be dealt, you know, uh, differently. I mean, if there's nothing that we can do, then, you know, um, you know, I, I would deal it with it just, just differently in a way. Uh, how so? I mean, I guess I would uh, pull the customer aside and, and really understand what their problem is. Right. And if they're only doing it because, um, they're trying to get something um, for free, right? Uh, then, then you know that's not that's not a person I would necessarily uh, would want you know coming back. But those are really rare instances, Kenneth, 
Um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've had those people. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. The Super Bowl that I worked at one of my stores, you know, I had a customer that knew that Super Bowl is the busiest day for us. Right. And uh, he came up to us and um, he said, hey, I ordered I, I pre-ordered for three o'clock, which is the busiest time that you could possibly pick up wings. And he was yelling and shouting in front of all the other customers who were waiting. And I said calmly to him, sir, uh, today's the busiest day. And he says, I don't give a crap that it's the busiest day. But I said it in a really nice way, you know, very calm. I said, sir, um, you know, I'll do everything I can to expedite your order. But, you know, please, please be patient with us uh, like everybody else over here. And, uh, you know, why don't you give me your name and I will go back there and see if I can move it up in the queue. So he gave me his name and we go back there. It's not to be found. Hmm. Okay. And what he didn't know was I was the owner. And so I looked through my phone. I can see all the orders from online ordering as well, all the tickets that came in. And the last time he ordered was March of 20, uh, March of 2020. So basically almost a year ago, Wow! it was in February, in February right now. And so as I was walking towards him, he ran off. He knew that he had been caught. I, I didn't say one single word, but I was holding my phone ready to show him. Um, but I mean, you have instances like that. Um, but, you know, my, my, again, my mentality is the customer's always right. Uh, and you, you just have to have that philosophy. I tell you, like every single one of my business, that's what I've done. Uh, and I've been very successful at that. Now, we've only been talking for a few minutes about this uh, topic about customers. It shows a lot of empathy coming from the, your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, that empathy goes a long way when you deal with people that you have to service and the people that work for you. Where did you get that sense of empathy? Um, where did I get that sense of empathy? Um, I would say I got it from, from my mother. Um, I have to say, sorry, the lights are going off here by a timer. Um, I, I think I got that from my mother, uh, to be honest with you. She was just, she's just the sweetest uh, mm. Uh, mom out there. I mean, she's done everything for me in life. Uh, I'm just very fortunate to uh, have someone as loving as her uh, raise me. So uh, uh, I got it from her. I mean, she's she was always a caring. Um, she's always a caring person, always doing things uh, to ensure I had a great childhood, you know. And so I'm just happy to be able to have her here today. And, uh, you know, uh, reciprocate that, that same thing uh, to her. Uh, and so I, I, I got that from her. Um, and I'm a very patient guy. Um, um, you know, I, one of the things I should tell you too, uh, people don't know, I mean, I have a, uh, an, an autistic child. Um, and he requires a lot of patience. You have to have a lot of patience, especially working with uh, special needs, right? And um, uh, I'm very fortunate. <laughs> My wife just says, wow, I can't believe how patient you are. But, you know, he's, he's our son. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I, I've been able to uh, raise him, give him everything that he needs to, um, you know, have a normal life. Um, so I, I carry that. I carry that with... Um, with customers, I carry that in 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 life. Um, you know, I, I 
I've taught my son, uh, you know, when we drive around and there's homeless people, we give them money, we give them food, we do community service. That's one thing that uh, I did growing up in, in high school <clears throat> was I did a lot of community service. Um, uh, there's an organization called Key Club, uh, did a lot of uh, community service with that organization. And so that's been instilled in, again, in my DNA. It's always um, helping people. Um, I'm doing that with my son today, too. Whenever we have an opportunity to do some type of community service, I want to pull him, you know, with me and say, you know, um, don't don't take life for granted. Um, and, you know, there's there's people um, that I need you to help, you know, that needs your help. You know, one day I want to kind of groom him to be, you know, uh, a caring person, a person that can make a difference uh, in people's lives. Uh, I think that's one. The, the other one um, I would say is when we came to the U.S., uh, we were sponsored by an American family. And they, strangers, complete strangers brought us in, yeah. uh, gave us food, put a roof over our head. And, you know, it, it's just amazing to see that right? To see that uh, there are are good people uh, out there that is willing to to just take off, you know, their, their, uh, sorry, their um, shirts off their back. Yeah, shirts off their back. And uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, lend a helping hand. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that story until I got older, right? Because when I came to the U.S., I was three months old, right? So I don't know what's going on at that yeah. time. But the the story that my mom and dad said to, you know, told me about this, it really touched my heart. And um, from that, you know, that's that's the other thing that helped groom me to be the, the way I am today. I'm a giving person. I like to pay it forward. Yeah. I, uh, I sit here right now with the next hour or two with the foresight to know what the story is about, right? I can, I see it, but I also am so aware of how much our history shapes what we're going to talk about in the next, you know, all the big things that you've done, how it shapes it. And I can't help but notice the sponsor, you know, um, the sponsor side, the autistic son, the mother, these are, these are things that I share within my family and my brother's a, a I, I respect my brother very, very much. And he's a, also a businessman. He's about our age. We're all about the same age. And he has a down syndrome son. My mother is phenomenal. My mother is uh, responsible for my brothers and I success uh, in every way. We love our dad as well, but I mean, our mother is a, a shining example. You know, it's her birthday today. So happy birthday, mom, but um, happy birthday. And we were also sponsored as well. So these are like the shared sort of um, things that are kind of built into our DNA and um, sitting here to be able to talk to you, knowing what we're about to talk to each mm-hmm. other about in the next hour or so is, is so exciting uh, to, to, to connect on so many different points. Um, we were sponsored and I've, I've kept in touch with the, the, the family for, for, you know, for, I was born in their, basically in their home. I'm named after the, 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 the patriarch of the family Mm. and the giving that they had handed down and 
are responsible for um, giving us so much in our life where, you know, that has probably been the root of, of empathy as well for, and empathy is a huge thing for American business, businessmen. I think it's, it's a, it's just a different way. And that I think that our culture traditionally um, coming from where we came from scarcity trauma, it's different. It's being, it's, it's a, 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 a more evolved way of thinking. And um, maybe Vietnam is probably thinking the same way today. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just wanted to, to kind of point that out. Yeah, so, absolutely. So you're at, um, you're at Cisco and you're working for the CEO. Uh, you stay there for a while and you know, you, what's your first foray into um, becoming an entrepreneur? Cause this is a nine to five, but then, you know, there's some five to nine action happening soon. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, I have to say not too many people know this, but my actually my first taste in business was uh, uh, opening a photography business, wedding photography business. And um, what I learned from that was a couple things. People like, uh, you know, at that time, people said, how do you how are you going into photography in a photography business when you never uh, when you don't have experience, when you don't have a portfolio, right? And how are you differentiating yourself? You're going up the uh, up against the guys that have done this for 20, 30 plus years. And so this is back in 2000 when the digital camera just like started to uh, take off. At that time, we were at a four megapixel. Uh, that was the, the, the high of the uh, resolution. Yeah. resolution at that time. But... Um, my partner and I, it was, it was two of us. He was a great photographer. Um, he wanted me to be the businessman because I, I work great. I, I speak great with the, with the customers. Yeah. And uh, so that's how, um, you know, that, that was our relationship. So I was the other guy that was shooting the, the photography stuff. And so what we had was we had a differentiating product. What was that? We actually spent, we, we purchased at that time a 12 make of, 12 megapixel camera. Now the standard was four. We purchased us 12. The body on that camera was seven to $8,000. Mm-hmm. And so we bought two. Okay. And so um, at that time, the photographers were like saying, guys, you guys will never get the same skin tone yeah. that you get with film. film. You, you know, you guys, you know, uh, digital can never replace film at that time. Okay. And what we did was we, had a pitch that was so strong that I ended up doing a wedding every other week while working at Cisco on the weekends. Wow. Yeah. What was the pitch? So the pitch was with the, with, with this technology, a 12 megapixel camera, we can make these beautiful digital albums. Okay. And digital albums did not exist back then. Wow. Okay. There was only a few printer companies that can do this. And so I felt that we were the pioneers of what was to come. Uh, people were just printing out, you know, just the photo prints and putting in an album. We were basically making a 40 page book of your special day with the photos that we took. Of course, we also had all the individual files for them to print if they wanted to, but that was the selling point. That was what we were selling. So simple. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's when I started to, to feel that, wow, you know what? I actually can sell, you know, like this is actually pretty cool. And I enjoy speaking with the customers. 
And uh, I think that just from that experience, I was like, wow, you know what? Hmm. I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing yet with business, but this was a stepping stone. And now I did this for six years, Kenneth, before um, uh, before I uh, got into um, the next business, Wingstop. But um, I think that that kind of um, helped set the foundation to see, you know, for me to say, wow, you know what, I, I'm willing to take this type of risk when people have doubted my skill set. Right. Again, I ne- we never I've never opened a photography business for my partner had never uh, been a photographer. He just read and just taught, taught himself. And here we are shooting wedding photography. Right. Um, yeah. So and and what I've learned is, you know, what I'll, I'll tell you is I've I've dealt with three types of customers. I've dealt with the enterprise customers at Cisco. Right. I've now dealt with the Bridezilla in yep. the wedding business. And now I'm dealing with the customers for a restaurant that pay me $10. So I've been able to been very fortunate in my life to be able to uh, work with different types of customers in, you know, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of spend. And what I could tell you is, you know, every single one of the, the, the guy that orders from my restaurant and the Bridezilla wants to be treated like the guy from Cisco who's paying millions and millions of dollars of support. Makes no difference. Makes no difference. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. The photography business, um, eventually you probably got out, right? Um, yeah, I, I got out um, six months. Um, sorry, 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 not six months, six years later. Um, and then uh, that's when I got in, involved with Wingstop. You know, I had to, I had to figure out like, um, I'm going, you know, I'm going to open five of these locations. That's what I signed up for with my partners, and so uh, I, I could not be working on the weekends and meeting with customers during the weekdays. I, I had to be able to, I had to manage my time uh, uh, back then, and so that was the next project that I worked on was um, uh, Wingstop. Okay, so you're at Cisco. You're just giving up your photography business. You're at Cisco for what eight years at this point? Um, correct, around eight. Yeah, I would say it was about eight years at this point. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, yeah. then you, you you somehow well, Wingstop was nothing at that time. I mean, I you know back in the day, it was. I mean, if they're giving away uh, loca- five locations to you in the Bay Area, that means that there was no footprint of what gave you this sort of confidence to say, all right, let me sign on for five locations. Why not just do one location? Why five? Yeah. So um, when you're a franchisor, um, they don't want to just give you just one store, right? They want a commitment. They want to see how serious you are. And so that's why um, we had to sign, me and my group had to sign five stores that, that showed the seriousness uh, we were the second store in the entire Bay Area. Okay. Now, back then, it's pretty insane because they gave us from Union City, uh, if people, uh, if you don't know the Bay Area, uh, Union City to San Jose encompasses about 30 miles. Yeah. You know, 30 miles that we had all to ourselves. And, um, but that was back then because I was the second, second location. They're trying to build out the Bay Area. And I have to say, I mean, I look back at it and I said, man, that's kind of gutsy <laughs> to, 
<laughs> you know, hindsight, no, right? But I, back then, I have to tell you, it was very gutsy uh, back then uh, building a brand from scratch. Uh, Wingstop, you know, just to give you an example, I mean, Wingstop now is 27 years old. I've been part of Wingstop uh, as a franchisee for um, coming up 17 years now. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So I've been with them for, for, for a very long time. And, um, and I have to say, Kenneth, I mean, I, I you know, um, my first year with the store, I lost a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of hard to stomach because, you know, the savings that you had, you know, is to put the store up and then to put more money out right? Because of the losses. And I, I tell people today, just because you have a business, the mentality back then was just because you had a business that or all businesses are profitable. No, they're not, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, this is the risk that, you know, uh, that we took. Um, and we had to decide, Kenneth, like, we signed up for five. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to have five stores that loses $100,000. Right. So um, you, you sign up for five. We, we opened the we decided to open a second one. We said, if we open the second one and I lose another hundred thousand um, dollars, I'm going to have uh, doubts about this brand. And uh, I might tell them that I'm sorry, I'm not going to continue opening the third, fourth and fifth. Uh, opening the second store, we chose a better location than the, the first store. And we were profitable the first year. Right. So then I said, okay, let's learn. Let's learn from this experience, right? What did we do wrong with the first one? And what did we do right? Uh, What did we learn from that? And what did we do right with the second one? And let's replicate this winning formula. So back to what they teach you in school, the four P's, you know, uh, product, place, uh, price, and promotion, marketing, right? And the second location was um, was basically the place or the location. Mm-hmm. You know, they tell you it's all about location, location, location. So when we found this place, uh, it had much more traffic because there was a anchor sc- anchor store like Costco and an In and Out Burger all within the same plaza. Right. So let's go find other locations very similar to this. And we did. And every single one of those stores was profitable when we opened it. So, um, you know, this is, this is what I learned when, when opening the wing stop. So now I'm, I'm at five wing stops now. Um, uh, you know, we were working, gosh, I, I remember the first three to four months um, wing stop opens from 11 a.m. to midnight every single day except for two days, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Okay, and that's that's the dedication that uh, my partners and I had. You know, uh, and and it's still the same way right now. 11 to midnight, 363 days a year is wow. how many days we work. And I've been uh, you know having this business now coming up on 17 years uh, this year. So. Um, yeah, and, and I love the brand. I love the food. Um, um, why did I, you know, people ask me, why did you choose Wingstop? And I said um, two things, um, well, several things. One, 
I never had food experience before. I never worked in a restaurant. I never worked for a fast food. But the concept, right? The concept of cook to order, meaning you go up to the cashier, you, you um, sorry, you go up to the customer. Uh, oh yeah, you go up to the cashier and you say you want 10 wings. What I then do is just count 10 wings, put in the, the fryer, hit the button. When it beeps, uh, put the chicken wings in a bowl and sauce it. This is one of the easiest concepts that, yeah. <laughs> that you could have done, right? Yeah. Not rocket science whatsoever, right? And um, just, just having that um, and the, the product itself, it tastes great. Like I know, you know, let's say you're a brand new customer. I just know if I can get you into the store, into one of my store, the first time with my customer service that I instill in my employees, that when you taste it, I am almost guaranteeing my, uh, you know, my, 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 my customers and, and, and my friends and family that I will be able to convert them to be a loyal uh, Wingstop fan. And I don't call them a fan. I call them an ambassador because what you do is you not only, you know, uh, rave about it, but you will go tell your friends, dude, when you go to Wingstop, have you had that lemon pepper wings yet? That thing's the bomb. Yeah. You're not my ambassador. And I didn't have, you know, uh, subconsciously, you don't, you don't even know that you're doing it, but that's the army of ambassadors I have in the Bay area, you know, pitching lemon pepper wings, you know, to their friends and family. And so that's, you know, so having a great product definitely is key too. Right. And I mean, that's just, again, that's one of the four P's, um, so, you know, as I'm going through this, as I, you know, these are the things that I learned about, um, you know, uh, I learned about this in school and business school is price. Um, so we, are we priced properly? Yeah, we're, we're priced properly. Place and product. So I've already gone through the four Ps. And then the fourth one is the promotion, is, yeah. the, is the marketing piece. And people don't realize how important that is. Like um, you need to do uh, marketing to grow your business. There are some business that are lucky that they, 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 they'll tell me all the time, Tony, see, I don't need to do any marketing. I have lines out the door, right? Um, but marketing is so key because I am that confident that when you eat my lemon pepper wings, you will be a uh, ambassador. But how do I Build that brand awareness, Kenneth. Ken, right? How do I build that brand awareness? That's marketing. Yeah. Right. We think about um, radio ads, TV ads, you know, um, doing commercials so that we are um, building that brand awareness, telling people about Wingstop and where to find us. Uh, and that that you know, I tell all businesses that you have to have a marketing strategy whenever you. Um, you know, build a, uh, build a brand, build a business, no matter how uh, busy your first day is, if you don't allocate um, money towards marketing and promotions, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're leaving money off the table. That's what I tell them. You're leaving money off the table if you don't do that. So very important. Yeah. It's a really um, vital part of business that uh, it's many times overlooked by brand new entrepreneurs and 
just thinking that their product is good enough and yeah yeah you know eat crap really quickly without uh this sort of marketing engine mm-hmm. what happened to the first location did you keep it did you you know it's lost money the first year and yeah uh no we we didn't we didn't i mean we did struggle the first couple of years but as the the as we built the brand awareness uh it's profitable i still have that store now uh it took um probably five to six years because at that point uh now i wasn't uh i shouldn't i mean i wasn't losing money uh, in the five six years i maybe it was breaking even or or it was a very small loss but as we built more stores and the brand was out there um, you know, it returned, it, it, it got to profitability. And so I, I still have it today. Yeah. Uh, it's actually probably out of my five stores now, um, probably my third best performing store. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, it, uh, it, uh, it took a little longer. That one took a little longer path, but yeah, it's doing, it's doing great now. There's this idea, um, that I've read about, um, that you, developed this idea of co-ops um for the marketing for the promotion for for territory right can you explain that yeah so uh what what we have today is a a marketing co-op and you know how does you know um how did this all come about and what what is the significance of it well when i was a uh when i had the second store uh, and then there were a couple other stores that popped up. So maybe during this time, there was maybe four stores. Um, I want to do radio, right? I want to do radio, but it was one, it was expensive. Um, I'll give you an example. For um, the one radio station said, hey, I can give you a radio package, a uh, three-month package where I can play you three times a day. And it's a three-month program. It's going to cost you $9,000. I said, okay, that's interesting. Uh, what times are, am I going to be played at? And they said, uh, 10 a.m., 2 a.m., 5 a.m. I'm like, who the heck listens to radio during that time? Well, that's all you can afford, Tony, with that type of package. And, um, you know, we, 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 we did want to spend, a, he says, well, if you spend a little bit more, you can get uh, some, some primetime slots. And I said, okay, you know what? Let me ask the Wingstop down the road. They're like three miles away from me, right? And they said, no, I don't, I don't care about that radio. Why do I even want to do it? I'm going to save my money. So I kind of thought to myself, well, that's kind of unfair that I would spend the money yeah. for radio. And they're only three miles down the road. They would get all the benefits without having to pay anything, right? So that's when I kind of said, well, that, that kind of sucks because, uh, you know, it's not like I could restrict radio waves from going down, you know, three miles away. So it didn't make any sense. Yeah. So then uh, as we got to maybe I would say, I want to say between 10 or 12 stores, that's when you've kind of hit a point where um, you could start, um, we, you know, you could start asking other um, franchises around the area in the Bay Area to start pulling, pulling money in. And so I talked to corporate about, uh, Hey, you know, can we have something? I didn't know at that time it was called co-op, but where, uh, everyone can benefit from this in the Bay area. And so that's when they said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a marketing co-op. 
So what, what we do is we define the territory of the co-op. So in the Bay Area, uh, my co-op is technically from um, Napa to Livermore to um, Gilroy. You draw a circle around that. So any wing stops that open within this vicinity pulls in their money into is this it a, bucket. Is it a mandatory thing? Now? It's a mandatory thing. Yes, it's a mandatory. Who thing. runs that co-op? Is it a private enterprise? Like you started it, you ran it. Tony is the owner of that co-op, or the, does corporate yeah. own it? Yeah. So the co-op. Um, so uh, no. The, so the co-op is not owned by corporate, but the co-op is. Um, we we elect board members to um, to run the co-op. So in our case, we have five seats. And we cast a vote on who should be on that board. And whoever's on that board makes the decision on what type of marketing should be ran. Now, how are you elected? You're elected based on the number of stores in the co-op. So for example, um, there's 50 locations in the co-op. I own five of them. So I own 10% of the, technically 10% of the votes. Right. Right. And so that's how we're elected. We count, you know, we count the number of votes. And so I've been doing this. Uh, I just got elected for my fifth term. I've been doing this for eight years now. So I work with uh, an agency. And uh, at the very beginning of the year, we look at um, right before the year starts, we put a marketing plan together, right? Now that all the 50 stores are contributing to this bucket, this pool of uh, marketing dollars for local store marketing, uh, where I, I take that money with my four other board members, we work with an agency, and we plan out the entire year. Okay, we're talking about TV ads, radio ads, digital marketing, and sports sponsorships, or the official wings of the Golden State Warriors, right? So we ensure that every single week is not blacked out meaning there's an, a marketing activity wow. that is happening in on every single week during the year to, to ensure that, you know, our sales is there, that there's brand awareness. So we've been very successful at, uh, you know, uh, with the amount of stores that we have, uh, um, we've been very successful in achieving our um, sales goals every single year. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, is there like a profit inside that co-op or is it just sort of like a break-even kind of like it works as a nonprofit? Uh, and I know nonprofit has a different connotation, but <laughs> the break-even kind of organization and not mm -hmm. to profit any one person. Yeah. So the, the co-op strictly, all they do is they just put a marketing plan together, uh, Kenneth, meaning they're, they're not, they don't have a, um, they're, there is no PL. They're not, there's no uh, loss. I mean, it's whatever money is in there. That's the budget that we work off of. Got it. Okay. It has to be spent. Every single penny has to be spent because it benefits everybody in the Bay Area. Now, what are the pros and cons of the co-op? Well, remember I, the example I gave you earlier about me being the second store and that person down the street said, I don't want to spend yeah. on radio. Well, guess what? 
we now have one, a bigger budget, right, for radio. So now I am able to get the 11 a.m., the 5 p.m., the 8 p.m. Right. Everybody now benefits yeah. from the radio waves, you know, going out to those locations. You see? So, and then you also have to think that um, the co-op, so the, the, how we determine how much goes into the bucket, it's, it's basically a percentage of sales. Okay. So the guys that are least performing, forget, let's just say the guy that is performing the, the worst sales, right. Is getting all the marketing assets, the radio, the TV and all that stuff as, 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 as the big dog guy, like the top guy, Yeah. you see? So, you know, um, so it's like the little guy, you know, I, at first I, the little guy would be saying, well, I don't, I, I don't have the money. Why do I have to put in this co-op? I said, it's, you are the, the luckiest one out of everybody because you're, you're not putting, these guys are putting way more yeah. money than you are. It's not a fixed amount. It's based on percentage of sales. So they're like, okay, you have a point, you know? And so eventually everybody, there was some struggle. I'm not going to say everyone agreed to it because everyone, like I said, some people will say, well, my stores are doing well. Why would I, you know, why would I put more money into, uh, um, into this uh, co-op when I'm already, my sales are great already, you know, right? Like the top dog, right? But um, they also see the benefit of it. They see their sales increase even more, even though they said that, well, my sales are doing great right now. Well, guess what? Your sales are doing that much better since you are part of this co-op. The idea of franchises have been around forever. Uh, this idea of co-op is something that it sounds to me like your company, Wingstop, sort of mandated their members to kind of join up, right? Um, but but previous franchise uh, companies before different operations didn't have don't don't they have this like built in sort of uh, marketing budget to go national with uh, their advertising? What why did why did your particular co-op um, be sort of this individual, you know, 50 store, right? Isn't, doesn't it come with the program of becoming a franchisee for that company? So there's two types of, uh, um, two types of marketing. Uh, there's one on the national level, like you said, and then there's what we call the local, right? And some, so you, we kind of have to separate the two because on a national level, there's a, an agency that does great with getting buys on, you know, for example, ESPN, some of the bigger networks, right? But then they don't necessarily understand the dynamics of the local area, the Bay Area, right? Whereas the agency that I work with understands the clientele, the customer base, they understand what's going on in the Bay Area, right? That the national guy uh, doesn't know. And so uh, we contribute as a franchise to both of them. Wow. We contribute to both of them. Okay. So, um, um, you know, uh, we, we, part of our sales um, does go towards the national, but it also goes towards uh, the local, the local marketing, uh, the co-op uh, in this case. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, uh, if you read up 
on Wingstop, we, I just think I just read the article the other day. We have, as a company, have had 18 consecutive years of growth, meaning we have not had a down year in the last 18 years of growth. This is uh, on a Wingstop. national level or just for your uh, territory? Um, it, it, uh, national level. I've only, I mean, again, I only had my Wingstop for 17 years. Um, but yeah, my, my sales have gone up um, every single year as well uh, as part of that trend as well. So, uh, but on a national level, 18 straight years um, as a company. So sales have gone up. So a typical um, franchise owner for Wingstop in your neck of the woods has to pay federal and the local co-op, right? What's the overall marketing uh, percentage of the, let's say, gross uh, revenue? Yeah, um, I'm not sure I could discuss that, Kenneth, but I could yeah, just I, say it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, 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 I mean, it's significant enough. Um, um, it's significant enough for, um, to be able to run these activities, let's yeah. just say that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so there's certain things I can't mention. Yeah, but, no, no, no. Yeah. My apologize for that. And I guess no, 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 percentage, you know, like, is it 2%, 5%, you know, it's, I was just trying yeah. to get a, a, but I, yeah, I understand. I completely understand these, uh, these proprietary, sometimes I have to like, you know, figure out like if, yeah, you know, sometimes it's not very clear for me, but I, I appreciate the pushback and, you know, it's, yeah. it's quite okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you it's in the, somewhere along the, the middle single digits. Yeah. 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 Um, as you're doing all of this Wingstop activity and you're running, you know, five franchises, there's more business opportunity that's coming your way, right? Yeah. Um, so once I had got the, the five Wingstops, um, that's when I kind of like said, what's the next chapter in my life? Um, I left Cisco after 14 years. Uh, back in 2011. And I said, you know, this is kind of, um, it's going to be risky, right? Like I do have Wingstop now. I have all the five stores. It replaces basically my salary that I was making at Cisco at that time. Okay. So now uh, knowing that I have something to fall back on, I want to look at some other opportunities that I can work on. Right. And so uh, the first one that came along was, um, uh, in business was uh, Maven's Creamery. Uh, two sisters, very entrepreneur, um, made these Macron ice cream sandwiches from their home in their garage. Um, one of my friends, one of the very first ones was carrying their products uh, at his sandwich shop. And uh, he said, Tony, you should try out these uh, macaron ice cream sandwiches. So I went and I tasted it and I said, wow, this is actually pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, do you know if they're looking for investors? He says, yeah, I think they're looking for investors. Let me connect you uh, to them. And so, you know, we met, um, we met, we talked about, you know, what is the, what is the vision of the company? What do you guys want to do with it? And um, they shared that they wanted to get into more restaurants at that time, right? Uh, more uh, high-end restaurants. Um, we're not; sh they, they were not so sure about getting into retail grocery chains at that time just yet. 
but uh, you know, get into restaurant. And so that's where I had a lot of connections in the restaurant industry that I could help. So I came in as an investor. I came in as their uh, chief sales slash CMO. And, you know, we, everybody wore multiple hats when you do a startup company. Right. So um, put investment money. So we grew out of a 400 square foot garage to now we have a, almost a 5,000 square foot uh, manufacturing facility uh, in San Jose. Okay. And so I basically, my pitch to the restaurants as I was signing up restaurants was, hey, we have this beautiful freezer. This is an upcoming uh, trendy product. Who doesn't like ice cream? And who doesn't like the French macarons, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you combine the two together and now you got this awesome ice cream sandwich. Um, so at this time, I think we're up to 120 120 restaurants now carrying us. That's, you know, and so the beautiful thing about my journey is also is that I spoke with all these restaurant owners, right? And every single one of them had a story to tell how they got started. And I could relate to them because I had Wingstop, you know, and I was giving them advice and everything. So we've always, we've also kept the bond. Oh, I've kept a bond with those uh, clientele as well. Um, and then one day we get a call from, um, Safeway, Safeway, um, you know, I gotta tell you the story. So what happened was, uh, you know, I believe in, um, luck and timing, right. And we had these two buyers from Safeway who approached us and said, Hey, uh, we had your product at a pokey restaurant and we had it for, we had your product for, for dessert. We absolutely love it. Would you guys be willing to have us carry your product at Safeway? And so we are like, Hmm, you know, that was, you know, um, after debate and everything said, yeah, why not? Right. So we went to them and uh, we, we gave them the background story. We told them the story and they loved it. And they said, yeah, we would love to carry you in. Um, you know, um, we ended up being in about, I think, close to about where we're in Safeway today. We're, we're close to 100 Safeways today where our product is. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, here's the thing, Kenneth. I go back to luck and timing, yeah. right? Um, of course, we have other competitors in this space. Okay. One of them being a company called Brick. And you could find you could find a brick in a lot of uh, these Korean uh, barbecue places. Okay. Yeah. Um, but where our luck and timing was is they happen. These two buyers happen to go to a pokey shop because had they gone and had Korean barbecue, this would have been a different story. Oh. Uh, that would have been a disaster for you. Yeah, right. So they happened to go to, and I think at that time, maybe we only had like maybe three pokey shops in the entire Bay Area that carried our product. So what are the chances, right? That they happen to go to this particular pokey shop, eat our ice cream. And here we are now in, uh, you know, close to hundred Safeway. Now, Whole Foods caught wind of this. You know, what I found out later was like uh, retail chains, 
they like to go to each other's store. Yeah. <laughs> and they like to see what kind of products, you know, uh, what are you, what, what, what is this that they're carrying, you know? And um, they, they too went to a, a Safeway and they saw our product. They called us up and um, they said that, um, hey, we love to carry your product. Can you show me the ingredients list? And uh, I shared with them the ingredients list and uh, Whole Foods said, I'm sorry, guys, we can't sell your product here. And we're like, well, what, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot of these uh, ingredients on our do not sell list that we can't sell. So what, so where are some of the ingredients that you're talking about? So they're, you know, their customer base don't want to see corn syrup, artificial flavors, right? So we were bummed out about that. Um, the two sisters went back for the next four to six months of R&D. We came back with an all natural Macron ice cream sandwich. Okay. Presented to Whole Foods and they said, this is exactly wow, wow. what we like and this tastes great. We want you to be in our Whole Foods location. So that's how we got into um, all these locations. And then, um, you know, we're expanding. We're looking to, um, to uh, you know, raise money now, right? And so um, um, Gwen, CEO of Maven's Creamery, uh, says to me, hey, Tony, um, Shark Tank is uh, doing interviews um, is doing interviews and uh, they're going to be uh, doing interviews at CES. We would love, uh, we want to go pitch, you know? And at that time I kind of said, do you honestly think that we're, you know, a shark tank person would actually want to invest in an ice cream company? <laughs> but I, you know, I mean that I was a doubter myself and I shouldn't say that, but I was a doubter myself. Sure enough. I said, you know what? Why don't you and your sister go and pitch the idea to them? Uh, I think it's a great story. So go and do it. So you fly over there really early. You sleep, you know, you can't basically camp out in the uh, in the lines and you get a, um, you know, you get a wristband. And if you are one of those uh, first ones to get a wristband, you get to pitch. So back to luck and timing. They go and they pitch. And one of the judges, uh, one of the judges, um, one of the judges that they pitched to, you only get 60 seconds, um, 30 seconds into the pitch, he says, wait a minute here. You guys are the founders of this ice cream sandwich? And they were like, yeah, um, we made this product. He says, you know, I live in Morgan Hill. Morgan Hill is a city south of San Jose. Okay, uh, about 20 minutes. And he says, you are at my Safeway. Safeway, right? In Morgan Hill, do you guys have this product? Yes, sir, we do. He says, I've had your product. It tastes absolutely delicious. Now, they didn't get to finish their, their whole pitch, <laughs> but, you know, uh, round after round after round, we made it to the the last and final stage was to pitch on Shark Tank. And, uh, you know, so we get all the way to there, a lot of preparations, a lot of knowing your numbers, back to what we were saying yeah. earlier. 
and um, they were they were prepared and they nailed it. They nailed it, and um, you know we got Barbara to um, uh, on TV uh, be the first one to bite and uh, you know um, uh, be the one to make the investment into the company. So you know it's been it's a fairy tale story, right? Because you know uh, uh, from an immigrant family father coming over from Vietnam to starting in a 400 square foot garage to striking it on Shark Tank is a dream come true just for anybody, just for, you know, any business. And so um, it was just, it was, it was an experience uh, definitely that I will never forget. Um, And from that, Kenneth is where, you know, the, the next stage in my life, right. Started happening where now, you have the experience, you have all the connections, all the networking, you know, from, from these opportunities. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I'm not even close to starting in in these questions with the shark tank experience. Um, <laughs> can't let you go into the next chapter yet. Oh um, yeah. How many rounds of, um, tests do they do from CEO? Um, yeah, I, I um, one of the things that I we had to sign was we can't disclose the whole entire process, but wow. there was there was quite a let's just say this there was quite a bit of rounds uh, for sure that we had to go through to get to the to get to the last stage. Um, um, it, you know, for us it was sixteen months, Kenneth, from wow. the time we started yeah. to the time we actually aired, right? And so. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty lengthy period, and I, uh, I have a lot of questions about this. And I now I'm starting to figure out a little bit is proprietary and probably NDA, you know, clad mm-hmm. ironclad NDAs. But I, I'm just going to ask away, and if if you cannot just say, you know, that's uh, you know, sort of uh, water we can't we can't get into. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, with the participation of a shark, how much of the business benefits from the actual uh, being on the show versus the actual money being pumped in versus the partnership that the shark comes on. Like how much percentage wise do you say, okay, well, I would say, you know, 30% goes to, you know, okay, that money really helped us really expand, you know, 30% being on the show, or it's really like a hundred percent. It's just because we're being on the show and, you know, it helped the brand, you know, like what, Mm -hmm. how much, uh, of it all, does it help the business? Yeah, I think um, being on Shark Tank and building that brand awareness uh, definitely helped us, you know, get on the map. Um, but um, I, I should I should put a little disclaimer. Um, after the show aired, though, um, both parties, you know, decided it wasn't the right investment. Mm. Okay, so um, she is not part of the company uh, right now. Uh, so we, you know, we kind of part of ways because um, for me, it was um, for us, right? It was a pretty big chunk that we said that uh, we would be giving up, you know, for for the expertise. And so um, internally, that was the decision that we made um, moving forward. And so, uh, we, you know, we're, we're still... We, you know, we're still alive today. We're still doing business. We're still in 300 location. We're now in 22 
states across the country on the East Coast. Um, so because of that publicity, it allowed us to launch, uh, you know, into other territories. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't, uh, we, we didn't move forward with the, with the investment at the end of the day. Yeah. You guys aren't hurting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not hurting. <laughs> now that agreement, once you leave the airing of that show is not any way binding to sort of any near term, near future sort of um, commitments to each other, right? Correct. Correct. So, I mean, um, the, the only thing is um, whatever was agreed on TV, let's just say, for example, was agreed on TV. Um, it could, you cannot ask for a better deal. That's one, but you could, but both sides can, um, can leave, can walk away from the opportunity. Oh, got it. They just, we just can't go back and say, well, you know, we, we had the, the deal was 25% for $200,000. Well, we want 25% uh, for 400,000, you need to give us 400. You can't do that. That's, that's the thing. You can't ask for a better deal than what was, um, agreed upon on the show. Now, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, both sides have to do their due diligence on one another too. You know, that process takes some time too. So, um, you know, we had to evaluate things, you know, make that hard decision. Well, both parties did, you know, so, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a beautiful premise for both sides, right? I mean, the show and the sharks get what they want. There's a huge upside to just them existing in that TV space. And uh, the contestants that come on are, you know, feed for the uh, for the show. And it's, uh, it's a win-win for everybody, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, you know, again, I, it's... It, <laughs> It was one heck of a, a journey and experience that uh, I will never forget. The rest of the team will never forget. And um, that's kind of like how I'm being molded right now in what I do today, you know, based on that experience. So, um, you know, it, it it just leads to more opportunities, I guess you could say, Kenneth. Yeah. Uh, you know, that uh, you just have to, you know, it's... It, you know, our lives are, uh, it's a journey, right? And so you're going to meet people, you're going to gain new experience, uh, you know, and down the road, how do you make those connections is another thing, right? Um, and, you know, um, we'll go into um, coffee a little later, but basically everything that I learned from that has allowed me to expedite all these other businesses that I'm involved in. Yeah. Let's get into the coffee side. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the, the opportunity for coffee, um, one of a, a mutual friend of mine said, Tony, I, I uh, want to introduce you to one of my partners. Her name is Tammy. Uh, she's been in the beauty space uh, all her life. And she has this great Vietnamese coffee product. Um, she needs help in getting it into retail chains, retail stores. Um, you're the food guy. And so um, we set up this meeting. She tells me about the story. Um, quite the entrepreneur, hands down. I, I've never met someone um, who is so, uh, how do I say it? Like, she's just a um, branding master, 
She's just a great entrepreneur and something that I, I, I've never had uh, in any of my business is a great branding person. And so um, the, the beautiful thing is she knew what her strengths were and I knew what my strengths were. And we basically said, we want to take this Vietnamese coffee. Um, we call RTD ready to drink bottling Vietnamese coffee and taking it mainstream. It's never been done before. And I just turned 46. I said, you know what, Kenneth, there's not many more years I can be doing these five-year projects and have the energy like I'm in my 20s and 30s. But the reason why I said yes to this was because of my, back to my roots, deep connection to Vietnam. I said, here's a perfect opportunity to give back to Vietnam is to take Vietnamese coffee, Vietnamese coffee or coffee in general, Vietnam is the second largest producer and exporter of coffee beans in the world, but not a lot of people know this. And so we said, you know what, it's gonna be our mission to educate the consumer and to get Vietnamese coffee and take it mainstream. Okay, Um, so uh, we built a team, we built the process, we're doing everything that um, I learned <laughs> in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, what better time to release a product than in March of 2020 <laughs> during the pandemic. So it goes back to luck and timing, right? Unfortunately, I was unlucky this time. Uh, just kidding. But I mean, that's when we did launch the product and, um, we were going to go down to the largest food expo uh, on the West Coast, Natural Product Expo West. And we get down to L.A. We get the email that says it's been canceled. We're like, oh, my God, we spent over $20,000 in our booth, you know, making it look pretty and everything. And the whole show is canceled. This is where we were going to debut our product to the world. And now it's been canceled. Now, I mean, I don't. Yes, I feel sorry for myself, but, you know, um, there are 10,000 other brands that was going to that show, right? Obviously. Yeah. And they all too. So we weren't, we weren't the only ones that's, that's, that's suffering. I mean, there's 10,000 other brands that were going to debut their product. So it was just very unfortunate with the pandemic, right? But um, I knew we were onto something because right before we went to the show, we had pitch uh, our Vietnamese coffee to Facebook. And Facebook, uh, we did a pop-up there and we, we got feedback from people, right? And Facebook told us like, hey, you know what, guys, uh, I love what you guys are doing here. Uh, we're collecting feedback and the final results came in and here's the tally. A normal vendor that comes in would get about 15 to 20 positive feedbacks. We got 60. Wait, this is at Facebook, the campus of Facebook? Facebook, the campus. Facebook, the campus. And we're doing a pop-up. We're handing out samples. We're getting feedback and everything. And we got 60 positive feedback. Okay. So Facebook comes to us, says, guys, we've heard enough. We want to put you into our 200 micro kitchens. 200. And at the campus, as you know, I don't know if you know this, but Facebook 
basically gives their employees free meals. Yeah. Right. So I'm not having to uh, sell my product to the employees. Facebook already buys it and is giving our product to the employees. So imagine you can do the math. They would be stocking 16 bottles of our product at each of the micro kitchen, 200 micro kitchens every single day. So we're pounding our chest. We're like, this is the very first account that we're going to get. It's, it's, it's great and everything. Then the pandemic hits. Everybody has to, yeah, everybody has to work from home. Right. So, um, you know, they said that they would, let's come back in three months, guys. We still love your product. Let's come back in three months. Hopefully this thing is all cleared up. We still <laughs> love your product, right? Here we are 2021 in February, people are still working from home, right? So, you know, obviously we didn't wait to hear what the, you know, what the response was. We went ahead, continued to knock on doors. Uh, even the restaurant space got decimated, right? All the restaurants were struggling. All the dining restaurants are struggling, right? You can't come in and sit down. So um, we then get an opportunity to pitch in front of um, a distributor called Cormark. They're the largest convenience store distributor in the country to 45,000 convenience stores. So a convenience store, I'm talking about 7-Eleven, Circle K, and um, they have this program called their curated program. So you can, if you're a brand and you want to be stored or sold in a convenience store, you can yeah. participate in this, in this competition. So 150 applicants signed up for this program. Cormark selected 10 from that 150 to pitch. Okay, back to Shark Tank, right? To pitch. From that 10, they would select four brands to go into their convenience stores. And we were one of the four brands. Wow. Um, So uh, this month we're getting ramped up. Um, I'm knocking on wood here because um, I think that we will be able to get into about anywhere between three to 5,000 locations. It's huge. Yeah, which is huge. And so my, my, my vision, our vision, Tammy and I's vision of getting to getting coffee to mainstream, you know, it's, it's, it's going to become a reality. Um, wow. I mean, in addition to, in addition to um, this opportunity, I'm also speaking to um, uh, Costco, Walmart, and Whole Foods as well right now. So um, beautiful. Now, yeah. these journeys that you're taking with these two companies, um, Maven and OmniBev, right? Correct. They're both led by women. They're both led by Vietnamese women. But I'm sure there's been um, a lot of Vietnamese men or white men or Latino people that probably have approached you. Uh, I find it a weird coincidence, not even a weird coincidence. It's just an interesting coincidence that these two big companies are led by women who are Vietnamese. Is that by design or just happened to be that way for you? 
Um, a little bit of both. <laughs> um, you know, um, there are perks being a minority women own business, right? Um, so, uh, and then and the, the second thing too, um, I happen to um, gravitate towards the story as well, mm. right? Because when you're building a brand, um, the, the background story does make a difference. Uh, these retailers, yes, you got a great product, but what's the story? Do, you know, they, they want to see the soul of the brand, right? And coming it coming from, you know, the two sisters, right? From an immigrant family, it's, you know, yes, I'm, I also come from obviously an immigrant family, but, um, you know, them telling the story right that, uh, and, and them, you know, the retailers, the buyers are hearing the, the soul of the company is what gravitates into um, making the making the decision, you know, uh, for Omnibev, um, Tammy, this is coming from her uncle's farm in Dalat. You know, this is coming from the family farm that we are putting together this product. And so they're like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, like you're, uh, you're, you're getting it from your uncle's farm and um, you're also supporting the local farmers. Right. Cause just think about this too. Right. Kind of like we're going to supply the opportunity here with Cormark three to 5,000 stores. That just means that I'm going to have to hire that many more people, farmers in Vietnam. It's a whole eco, you know, uh, eco chain here that, that happens right here, right? And so, uh, uh, you know, I'm helping the farmers out, which gives me, you know, uh, uh, it's a very humbling experience to be able to know that uh, we can give back to uh, our country. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the story that uh, is told when we are doing our pitches. Uh, to the retailers um, and, and they gravitate towards that. You got to have a great branding story. And what I do well is I document the journey. I tell every, every business entrepreneur, you know, when you guys are starting your business, whatever you can do, document your journey because they want to see how you started and how you ended or tell the story of your, your, your continuous journey uh, to, uh, you know, your end goal. So very important. They're compelling stories. What brought you to Vietnam the first time? Um, I'm, I'm thinking back, uh, gosh, the first time I went back to Vietnam was, uh, 2000. And, um, I, I just, you know, hearing the stories from my father, um, you know, saying I, there's still family members back there. And uh, I want to go really understand my roots and go back and, and see my family members, my cousins and uncles, you know, there. And so I kind of journeyed back there on my own and fell in love with it. And so for the next, you know, um, 11 years, I would say from 10, 2000 to 2011, the, the reason why 2011 was the last time I, um, I went back because once I got married, that was, that was basically it. I haven't been back since, <laughs> um, but uh, it, you know, I, I had an opportunity to travel um, 
all over the country and just fell in love with it. And um, I, I, again, I said, you know, if there's something that I can do, whether it's opening a business in Vietnam or doing something in the States for the country, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely open to it. And so again, this opportunity came up and um, here we are right now, you know, getting, getting Vietnamese coffee mainstream. What is your uh, process in vetting? I mean, if you can just go over it in a very basic way, some major tenets of how you vet a business. So um, the very first thing I do is um, I kind of will do some research about, okay, it's a product. Um, what's the total addressable market, right? Like what is the opportunity, right? Um and if, if that number is really high, I, I, you know, I then ask myself, okay, um, who are the competitors? Who's in this space? Um, let's also do some focus group testing, right? And I do all that stuff before, um, before I really figure out if that's, you know, if, if, if I want to continue, right? And so I'll tell you, like, the coffee stuff, um, uh, we did some focus group testing with uh, universities, uh, with, with people. Now, obviously, the first try was not, was not going to, uh, uh, how do I say it? We went through so many formulations, probably over 100, Kenneth, before we settled on the final formulation, right? But what I found out about the coffee business was that caffeine is a legal drug, right? <laughs> and that... The average coffee drinker drinks two cups of coffee per day. Yeah. Right. And so that's when I, I start thinking to myself, like, wow, I, I, this is one of those products where, uh, you know, the liquid is liquid gold. You know, because I, things start running through my head and I start thinking to myself, wow, they drink two cups of coffee a day. If they just drink one cup a day with our bottle and we sell it for, let's just say $4, right? You can do the math, let's just say 300 days in the year. That's $1,200, $1,200 per person. And if you have a, this is one of those products that can actually work with a subscription model, Yeah. right? And so, you know, I'm running through the, the, the numbers and everything. And I see the, I just see, I now see the opportunity of what we can do with this. Um, now, the core focus was just selling the, the bottles of coffee. Well, when we were pitching to all these places, uh, Kenneth, they came back to us and they said, well, guys, I love your product. I love your product very much, but is it possible for us? We also, our customer also wants hot coffee. And so we kind of like said, well, we got to make a decision what we want to do here. You know, do we stick with the RTD or do we, you know, do we want to sell the beans? She didn't want to sell the beans at that time, but we heard the market dictates, right? It, you have to find that there's a market fit. The market overwhelmingly said, guys, we also want, if you guys can, we would also like for you guys to sell the beans. So in about six weeks time from now, Kenneth, we are also going to be introducing the beans as well. 
Okay. Stuff. Yeah. And so the core mark, the core mark opportunity, we sold them on the RTD, the ready to drink product. We recently went back to them and said, Hey guys, you're a convenience store. People go to convenience stores for coffee. Also hot coffee. Can we sell our beans to you guys too? And they said, um, we are definitely open to that. So just imagine three to 5,000 convenience stores potentially carrying our beans. That's the opportunity that, you know, she and I are, <laughs> are looking at. Um, so learn how to pivot. Sometimes you got to hear what your customers are saying. You know, you got to, if, if it's, you know, if it's only one or two, then you kind of could brush it off. But a lot of the food services were like, we, 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 we want to carry your beans. We want to make hot, hot coffee because in the colder months, Tony and Tammy sales are going to slow down. People aren't going to drink the cold brew in the colder months. They want hot coffee. So what are you going to do to counteract that? Sell beans for hot coffee. How do you know you're working with the right partners? What is it about people that you choose to work with that makes you go, hmm, this is a good fit. This person's a good person. Because many times it's a it's a roll, it's a it's a a roll of the dice who you see on paper and in front of you as wonderful people, but many times they have uh, just different ways of looking at life. And how do you have, do you have metrics or KPIs on human beings? Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're not always going to get it right. I want to tell everyone that you're not, not always going to get it right. And the thing is uh, you just got to do some due diligence. You got to, um, I want to say like date the person. Yeah. So I don't mean, you know, like physically date, but meaning, go out to dinner with them, mm -hmm. uh, have meetings, uh, go do some fun things such as, um, um, you know, miniature golf even, you know, I, I don't care, but at least interact with them and get to know them um, uh, for at least for? three months. Yeah, but hmm? what are you looking for? Like intuitively, well, innately, I mean, you don't, you don't have any concrete KPIs, right? Or do you have... What's inside of you that's saying, hey, this is a good partner? Yeah. So a good partner is one where we define each other's strengths and what's the goals, right? So what I'm good at is sales and marketing, right? And what they're good at is whatever, you know, whether they're financial, whether they're the CEO type. And can we click, right? Can we not... Um, look over each other's shoulder, right? Can we trust one another when we, when we say we are going to just concentrate on our role? And then do you believe in execution? Do you believe what's their track record today, right? Um, um, so I do look at the track record, like how many times have they been successful versus failure? I'm not going to look for the person just entirely with all successes, yeah. right? Because that's just, that's just impossible. But, uh, and then are they just a good human being is probably the biggest thing that I look at. Like, you know, more than just profits, right? Um, 
giving back to the community? Are we on the same page? Are we on the same wavelength? Do we have the same goals? Right? When we say we want to give back to Vietnam, you know, is it just words or are we doing that? Yeah. Uh, and, and show me, you know, let's, let's show me, you know, uh, what are we going to do, you know, uh, about this? So um, that that's the type of stuff that I, I, I look at, right? Um, in a person. Now, you're not always going to be, but you're at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's de-risking, right, Kenneth? Because yeah. you're right. I mean, um, you know, not all my partnerships have worked out. But I can tell you, like, I'm in 10 businesses today and um, I have partners that have been with me for over five years in those 10 businesses. In terms of failed businesses where it didn't go well, I would say about four. Okay. Again, it's not 100% success story with me, but, you know, I, I, you know, I'm able to, um, I'm investing in the people more so than just the product because I have to, you have to ask yourself, can this person really do, I believe in them in taking this company to the finish line. Right. Um, And can I support them? You know, can I support them in this particular way, which is more sales and sales and marketing. And that's, and that's what I do. Uh, And that's what I tell them that that's the only thing I'll do. You know, um, I'm not going to pretend and tell them, yeah, if the employee is not coming in, I will roll up my sleeve and go and and do the work. You know, I'm not going to say that. If I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to say that. Okay. Um, But I just know where my strengths are. And that's where my strength is. There's a fairly new uh, group on social media and Facebook um, called Asian Hustle Network. Um, Brian and Maggie are, um, are good friends of my wife and I, and, uh, we see them quite often and we love them very much. Um, they're doing great work out there and I see you on there quite a bit. Um, this idea of sort of like this community, what does it mean to you? Um, I just never thought I would ever see so many of these Asian entrepreneurs be all in one group right and when you when you hear their stories you know you can just totally relate yeah to what they're going through because obviously you and you know they're going through what you and i have gone through in our early stages in life right and just imagine if there was uh, a kenneth or a tony to help us out 10 15 years ago how much more successful how much uh, unwasted time could have happened, right? And so um, for me, um, I've mentored, I've probably had, you could, you could see probably a hundred one-on-ones with these, with members in, in AHN. Wow. I didn't know that. To, yeah, and uh, I've given them, I mean, I've given them advice. I've given them some tips, like exactly what I'm sharing with you today you know, to get things started. Um, but, you know, I'm looking, you know, uh, you know, looking for that, those individuals who will also make a, a lasting impact, right, in society, right? Um, just like how uh, my sponsor family gave me an opportunity, you want to pay it forward to, 
you know, to, you, to this group. It's amazing. I, um, I'm so touched to hear your involvement um, with giving back. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a very touching sort of side to being a businessman and to be able to do it the way you do it. No, I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I love hearing their stories and, you know, giving them advice. And I just, I just encourage these guys, like, guys, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be days where you lose $100,000. Does that mean you give up? No, you know, I mean, if you truly believe in your product, you know, you don't give up. You know, you got to just keep on hustling at the end of the day. Yeah. Are there... Are there more projects that you are looking at uh, in the near future? Um, I have some other projects where I'm investing in uh, more so. So, um, you know, people have from age and have come and pitch ideas to me and said, you know, Tony, can you be a board member? Can you help me? And, and so you, you just got to. My thing is I'm not going to, I can't say yes to every everything, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, otherwise I wouldn't be able to get things uh, done, but I'm willing to give a couple hours here and there, you know, uh, once in a while to, to help them out. But um, in terms of other projects right now, I, I'm, I'm, I have three companies actually. <laughs> I started two years ago, so I'm managing three companies right now. So uh, Omnibev, a logistics company, and also a marketing software company right now. And, um, you know, that's enough on my plate at the moment. It's uh, <laughs> intense. How do you find yeah. the, the focus and the concentration? Like, do you have a systemic way, a systematic way of sort of putting things on the map uh, visually or mentally for you so you can kind of even out the 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 workload uh absolutely i have a the other thing is having a strong support team at the end of the day right so uh, you don't see behind the scenes what goes back my support team what my support team does right so meaning yes i i will have the meeting i will close the the deals right but i have a whole support team that these are the onboarding tasks that needs to happen to fully onboard. So these are the, the tasks, the steps that they're helping me with in ensuring that we are able to onboard that customer. Um, I also have a VA, a virtual assistant, who will sit in all my meetings, who will take all copious notes, who will then tell me here are your action items, Mm. Tony, that you need to take care of. So, um, you know, I, to your point, like, how do you remember everything like that? Yeah. I'm, I'm, as I grow older, I am forgetting things, but I have someone to listen in and be able to take copious notes and delegate uh, those tasks that require my, uh, my actions, uh, you know, to complete. Yeah. You sound like you have it down. That organization is really important. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Tony, I want to thank you for um, spending so much time with me today. Um, it's always a, a treat to sit with, you know, guests and somebody like you, I know, very busy. And for you to, you know, share and just openly share so much is very valuable. It's valuable to me and it's valuable to the community, the Vietnamese community. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I Like I said, I enjoy talking um, and, and sharing my experience because I think um, in today's uh, 
world and society. I think um, we need more of that, right? We need more of people being open and, and sharing as much as you as you possibly can, right? Obviously, don't don't uh, uh, don't break your NDA or things like that, but whatever you could share to help uh, a person out, because you know I want everyone to succeed. Right. I don't I, I would hate for people to lose money. And so, um, you know, it's, it's I want to be that cheerleader for that for that person. Right. At the end of the day. So, um, you know, you just you just. You know, I have a good heart for, for a lot of people and you'll see or people see that in me, you know. Um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I really enjoy helping people out. Kenneth. Yeah. Thank you again. And um you know, I wish you a lot of good, 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 uh, prosperous uh, activity for, for this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.